This podcast is sponsored by Police Bank. Since 1964, Police Bank has stood for the financial well-being of police, their families, friends and communities. As it's member-owned, it's able to offer more competitive rates for banking with them. Whatever's next on your horizon, Police Bank can help you get there sooner. Welcome to Inside the New South Wales Police Force. Real cops, real stories. I'm your host, Adam Shand. Over the past few decades, the culture of outlaw motorcycle clubs has changed dramatically. Once members had been freedom seekers, misfits who enjoyed the brotherhood of riding motorcycles together. There was the occasional violent confrontation between rivals, but this was mostly kept out of public view, with a few notable exceptions, like the 1984 Milpera massacre between the Bandidos and Comancheros. In 2009, a new low was reached when members of the Hells Angels clashed with members of the Comancheros at Sydney Airport, which led to the death of one individual. With the public demanding action, New South Wales Police set up the Raptor Squad. Today it targets groups and individual members who engage in serious and organised crime. In particular, those that have a propensity for violence or present a risk to the public of New South Wales. The success of Raptor since its inception has been immense, with 7,500 gang members charged with 9,000 offences. 2,000 guns have been taken off the street, plus tonnes of drugs. Joining me to discuss the work of Raptor is Detective Superintendent Andrew Kutsufus, the commander of the squad. Tell me, what's been the bedrock of the success of Raptor, do you think? Look, I have the privilege of leading... Uh, 150 highly dedicated, highly committed police with the sole focus of targeting OMCG criminal activity. Um, The tactics that we've used, like you've said, have proven to be uh, highly successful. It's just relentless targeting of OMCG and their criminal networks, which has made it very difficult for them to operate and uh, conduct their criminal activities with with a constant eye of Raptor Squad upon everything they do. It's been a very big year for you. Just go through the results of the last year. Yeah, just um, over the last 12 months, uh, we've seen uh, the Raptor Squad uh, undertake 990 arrests. There's been over 2,200 charges. We've conducted uh, over 860 uh, FPOs, FPO searches and compliance checks. We've had... uh, 353 drug detections. We've searched over 930 people. 480 vehicles have been searched. We've uh, handed out 128 consorting warnings. We've conducted 249 bail compliance checks. Uh, We've given out over 2,400 traffic infringements. Some of the results of that have seen cash seized over the uh, 3,600,000 mark. We've uh, seized over 90 kilos of cannabis, which is a street value of uh, over 2.3 million. Cocaine, we've seized over 100 kilos of cocaine with a street value of over 45 million. GHB, we've seized over 13 litres with a street value of just under half a million dollars. Uh, We've seized uh, 139 grams of heroin, a street value of over $75,000. We've seized uh, over five kilos of MDMA in ecstasy uh, with a street value of over 1.1 million. We've seized uh, almost 350 kilos of ice 
with a street value of just over $55 million. And um, we've also taken uh, over 624 millilitres of steroids with a value of over $34,000. And to add to that, uh, some of the weapons that we've seized, which is almost 300 uh, weapons that we've seized, uh, they valued almost a million dollars worth of weapons. We've seized uh, 76 firearms during this period, uh, which is almost a million dollars worth of firearms. Weapons seized uh, over 100 uh, weapons, including knives, tasers, knuckle dusters. Uh, so it's quite a significant amount of seizures of weaponry, firearms, and of course, uh, a lot of drugs and a lot of money. So a lot of drugs taken off the street. And all these results uh, as a result of targeting serious violent criminals. And let's let's be clear here. We're not talking about all bikies, all people on motorbikes. Well, there's ample evidence to suggest uh, those that are members of gangs are highly likely involved in serious organised crime. The intelligence suggests that outlaw motorcycle gangs are the biggest cohort of serious and organised crime that Australia has to deal with. So... If you sign up to be a member of an OMCG, it's highly likely that you'll be heavily targeted by the Raptor Squad. And it's not just us that do that. Uh, We're just one tool that the State Crime Command has to use. We are the front line of the offensive against OMCG, but we come along with the Criminal Group Squad and other members uh, of State Crime Command. Uh, We work closely with uh, the rest of the organisation, New South Wales Police in the field and the intelligence We work uh, very closely with other jurisdictions throughout Australia, the Australian Federal Police, Border Force, the Australian uh, Criminal Intelligence Commission. We work uh, very close with all these stakeholders involved in the uh, offensive against uh, organised criminal networks, especially OMCG. And you've come to uh, publicity in the recent days because of the high-ranking Comanchero, Alan Moradian, and your squad's been busy after that uh, while that investigation goes forward, because you're, you're concerned, and the public should be rightly concerned, about further reprisals, public violence, as we saw in that case with Meridian. Yeah. Look, for us, it is continued business as usual, and I'm very confident that we're doing everything we possibly can. There is no doubt there are some people out there intent on doing uh, serious harm to others. Uh, we, we can't be everywhere all the time. We're not personal bodyguards. However, we do all we can to keep people safe. Just alone over the last weekend, we've had uh, 28 engagements with known associates of, uh, uh, of the people involved in the events of the last two weeks with the Meridian shooting and the shooting at Marrickville on the Friday. So we have a big committed crew that are doing all we can to suppress the activities of these violent criminals. It's hard to quantify the amount of uh, shootings, murders, serious violent crimes that we've made sure don't occur. So it's it's hard to count how many we've stopped. But we know we have stopped numerous murders, numerous acts of violent crime by what we do. So, you know, it's it's very hard to quantify what we've stopped from happening. But uh, we will continue. It's week in, week out, like I said, business as usual for, uh, for the Raptor Squad. Um, to work towards targeting these um, serious criminals. And the other statistic you don't really read about in the press is how many people have dropped out of OMCGs or failed to join because they realise there's going to be a lot of heat on them. 
That's exactly right. Uh, you know, I've said all along, if you sign up to an AMCG, we just come along with part of that package. Uh, you can expect attention, relentless attention from the Raptor squad if you decide to sign up to be part of an AMCG or their network. I guess that number is a bit fluid and it's hard to confirm um, the exact numbers, but, uh, but our intelligence suggests a 25% reduction in AMCG membership uh, in New South Wales alone. And you've also, in many cases, driven them out of the suburban clubhouses that they'd occupied for a long time, which was a locus of criminal activity and also a point of intimidation for local communities. That's been a visible change. And in some cases where clubs have given up having clubhouses because of the attention of Raptor. Yeah, that's 100% correct. It's, uh, if you have a clubhouse, it's like a beacon. It's like a beehive of activity for, for us to target heavily. They're abandoning their clubhouses. Uh, a lot of them are abandoning their colours and uh, making it uh, a little bit more of their activities more covert. A lot of them are abandoning their homes and, and that where they live because it gets too difficult in New South Wales to operate with all uh, the legislation and the attention of the Raptor Squad and State Crime Command. That's correct, because, I mean, we've seen the focus on them in the Sydney metro area since 2009, but they've increasingly left the Sydney metro area and Raptors followed after them. You've now got offices in the Illawarra and also in the Hunter Valley, where they've moved off from Sydney because of the pressure. Yeah, earlier this year, uh, we we started Raptor North and Raptor South. We've got um, so many Raptor teams with detectives, highway patrol and tactical officers working out of... uh, the northern region, the southern region. So uh, we follow them into the regional areas. And, you know, um, since since January, we've conducted a number of operations throughout uh, the northern and southern parts of, uh, of the state and also out west as well. So they've been quite successful in suppressing a lot of the activities throughout the state. And, and that's what we do. We go through all, all through New South Wales just over the last few weeks. We've been up at Tweed. We've been um, down to Wagga, Dubbo and... Um, heading out to Griffith in the near future. So, uh, you know, there's no secret. You know, a lot of our operations are not covert. They're highly overt. They know we're coming. We don't make it a secret that uh, bikies will expect our attention. It's no secret. You, Like I've said all along, you sign up to OMCG. We're just part of that package. A number of high-ranking bikies have left Australia for the Middle East and Asia, but they can't escape scrutiny for long. A lot of them have gone offshore and interstate, but again, we work very closely with other jurisdictions in Australia and uh, worldwide, so it's making it extremely restrictive wherever they go. There's not very many friendly countries that like to have an OMCG presence in their backyard. So that environment is getting smaller and smaller. That's what they have to deal with. If it gets too hot in New South Wales, uh, they have to look at somewhere else where they can operate and, uh, you know, those options are becoming ever more restrictive. And over 14 years of running the squad, I'm sure New South Wales Police has now a very comprehensive picture of the bikey world because prior to that, information was patchy. You're getting good intel now, and I think increasingly you're seeing information sources come to you from out of that world. So no longer is it safe. Is there a cone of silence over these bikey's operations? Well, I can safely say there is definitely no code of silence with uh, within organised criminal networks or, or the bikies or MCG. When they have to deal with intensive pressure, that code of silence is uh, very, very thin and weak. I can say through experience that uh, yeah, th- there's not many that would stick 
to that edict of uh, of uh, remaining silent. So do you think this pressure over the years has actually weakened the foundations of the clubs and led people to betray their fellows? Oh, regularly. Yep, yeah. This occurs regularly. Uh, many have to um, make a, a decision whether they assist in our investigations or they face a, a lengthy stint in jail or, or other consequences. So... That code of silence is quite mythical, I see, from uh, from my experience. We've also seen in past years gangs, clubs, recruit inside jail. It's been a very good place to recruit people. I'm sure you're aware of that and you put work into working out what's going on inside the jail walls in terms of recruiting and potential violence within jails. Well, we work very closely with uh, Corrective Services to to monitor what goes on inside jails. Our relationship's improving all the time with um, with Corrective Services and their intelligence unit and the people that work there. So we constantly meet with Corrective Services, specifically Raptor as well, to monitor uh, monitor what's going on in uh, in the jails. So, um, yeah, we, we keep a close eye on uh, what's going on in the jails and that relationship's improved a hell of a lot of late as well. Because you're just not seeing the stories that we saw a few years ago about bikies, you know, massive recruitment drive on, numbers increasing, bigger threat. We're seeing exactly opposite. And the media loves to talk up these stories, by the way, but there's, you're not giving them much to work with these days, Andrew. No, a lot of these stories, uh, yeah, a lot of the facts that we present, I guess, don't fit the narrative of the media where they want to talk about wars and blood on the streets and um, and yes, there are incidents of violence and there's murders that have occurred uh, of late, but we've seen a massive reduction in those incidents uh, over the last few years. Uh, we've seen a massive reduction in public place shootings. Um, we're doing all we can to prevent them from occurring. But like I said, we can't be everywhere 24-7 and we can't be these guys' uh, personal bodyguards. Uh, I think, like I've told you before, if... Um, if someone's hell-bent on sending someone else to hell, well, it's very hard to stop that sometimes. And they do have an option, of course, Andrew. They can give up their membership. They can come to police, share what they know. There's all kinds of protections available to them. So it's not just simply you stay in the club, you die, but you have a choice as to whether you make a pro-social move and move out of your membership, help the solution rather than being part of the problem. There's always choices, Adam. There's always options and choices that people can make. There is that uh, attraction to an OMCG, the power. There's a lot of money, but there are some severe consequences. There's long jail terms. Uh, there's, there's the obvious threat of being killed by a rival. So there's always options for them to think about. We're here to help. We're here to keep these people um, from doing the wrong thing. And many times we're keeping a lot of these people alive and keeping the community safe as a result. Yeah, and the other point, I think, um, is that you've had such success within Raptor in terms of the motorcycle gangs that you, you've now expanded the focus of Raptor to other associated criminal groups. What's that all about? So we're well aware of the networks that work closely with the OMCG, like you discussed before about the um, recruiting efforts of OMCG. A lot of them are linked, obviously, with organised criminal networks. The ones committing the violent crime are often not the ones 
at the head of the table of OCN and OMCG. They're the expendable um, at-risk youth who are willing to do some short-term violence for uh, a lot of money. So we're also mindful of that and, and we target the networks associated with OMCG quite heavily as well. So what's your message to people who are considering joining an OMCG or maybe they're already in one? Raptor is ruthless and relentless and I think given the success you've had, there's not going to be any turning back anytime soon. Well, well, the message is all along, um, it's no secret if you sign up to become a member of an OMCG or become an associate or part of their criminal network, uh, you can expect uh, our relentless attention. Uh, you know, we are part of the package of being a member of an OMCG. There are severe consequences if you sign up to OMCG or be part of their uh, criminal networks. The severe consequences will either come from within your gang or being a member of an OMCG, or it'll be from uh, Raptor Squad as a result of the relentless attention that you can expect uh, under the eye of the Raptor Squad and the New South Wales Police. So the consequences are not good if you sign up to an OMCG. Well, thank you for your time today, Andrew. That was Detective Superintendent Andrew Katsoufis, who's the commander of the Raptor Squad. If you're aware of OMCG activity in your area, or you have information that you'd like to pass on, Crime Stoppers is the place to send it. Call 1-800-333-000. Always confidential, always anonymous. After these messages from our sponsors, we'll hear from Raptor's resident bikey expert on understanding the culture and the threat posed to society by outlaw motorcycle gangs. Reach your saving goals faster with the Police Bank Bonus Saver account. If your goal is to save and be rewarded with bonus interest, then the Police Bank Bonus Saver account could be for you. You'll just need to deposit $100 each month with no withdrawals and there are no ongoing monthly or annual fees or minimum or maximum balances. Eligibility criteria applies. Please see the terms and conditions in the show notes for more information. This podcast is also proudly brought to you by Charles Sturt University, providing education for the New South Wales police force and law enforcement worldwide for over 30 years. Do you want to become a cop or further your policing career? We can help. Visit csu.edu.au forward slash policing to learn more. Welcome back to Inside the New South Wales Police Force. There's been a vigorous public debate about the role that outlaw motorcycle clubs play in organised crime. Some say the number of bikies involved in serious organised crime has been overstated. However, after 14 years of operation, the Raptor Squad has developed a deep understanding of outlaw clubs. While not every bikie is a criminal, membership of these organisations does come with a propensity to be involved in violence. It's a calling card, a trademark, even a discreet form of organised crime. Detective Senior Sergeant Bruce Gronvegan is Raptor's resident bikey expert, and he's my guest today. My primary duties is, uh, is providing uh, expert evidence in relation to the nature and distinguishing characteristics of outlaw motorcycle gangs in order to assist the court to understand why certain things occur within the outlaw motorcycle gang environment. That's my primary duty. Uh, I fulfil some other roles in advising 
the command and New South Wales Police um, about issues that are impacted by the OMCG space and also provide training to a, to a host of various stakeholders, both internal and external to the police. Yeah, right. Well, listen, I've met a lot of bikies and a lot of police. You look more like a bikie than a police officer with your, your go-to beard <laughs> there and a bit of a ponytail. I mean, are you starting to, to, to blend into the scenery of what the work you've been doing? Not at all. Not at all. I look the way I do because it uh, allows me to quite often interact more comfortably with members and, and former members. I've just fallen into that uh, that type of look. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. But why did this occur for you? How did you find yourself becoming a court-recognised OMCG expert? I had worked in the outlaw motorcycle gang space for, uh, for several years and it happened that I was called upon to give some expert opinion in relation to the trial of the men accused falling out of the um, Sydney airport incident in 2009. By the time the trial came around, there was some, there was some space for expert, uh, expert opinion to be, to be provided and um, I was called upon to do that and it seems to have just snowballed into a full-time, uh, full-time thing for me. Yeah, and that was the beginning of Raptor, that, that confrontation at Sydney Airport between the Hells Angels and Comancheros that left one man dead. It was a shocking, vivid moment for the public. But suddenly in the middle of our most busy airport, there was a clash there. At what level had the atmosphere inside the clubs got to that there was this public show of violence was was likely? Yes, in the years leading up to um, the airport, there had been probably a more overt propensity for public place violence between um, rival outlaw motorcycle gangs and public place violence obviously falls into those those types of confrontations that occur in a public space but also things like drive-by shootings of houses and, and and those kinds of incidents there had been a growing awareness within the police in the years leading up to Raptor that this was something that need, needed to be addressed and there was actually a kind of the precursor to Strikeforce Raptor that had been geared around that sort of proactive intervention in terms of engaging with members of outlaw motorcycle gangs, engaging with clubhouses, those types of things. So the airport was kind of, the catalyst had already been there, but the, the, I, I guess the, the airport was probably the, the kind of trigger that made that, that style of policing um, come into its own very much. You raise an interesting point because people look at the term outlaw motorcycle gangs and they assume that they're already outlawed. Just what does membership of an OMCG mean? Does it carry with it a guarantee of criminal activity or are we looking at a situation where the 1% clubs trade on fear and therefore it's a different kind of public threat? But I guess just to boil it down, like, I mean, as I say, is a membership of a 1% club a guarantee of criminal involvement okay so there's a couple of there's a couple of levels to that to to the answer to that question first of all there's a there's a fairly broad distinction between an outlaw club and an outlawed club okay so outlawed 
would suggest that there's some sort of legislative regime around saying that this organisation is banned. However, an outlaw club is a definition that the club itself takes on because it goes right back to the genesis of the 1% clubs and, you know, outlaw and 1% are uh, interchangeable terms. So an outlaw club is a club that identifies itself as outlaw, as operating outside the norms of society, outside the rules of society, those types of things. So it, it generally eschews those behaviours that are acceptable by the majority of the population. If you're in a 1% club, can you expect to be asked to commit crime? Not every member of an outlaw motorcycle gang has a criminal record. Not every member of a uh, of a <laughs> of an outlaw motorcycle gang necessarily commits crime. But you touched on a on a question in relation to fear, and that's the second part of this issue. One of the primary purposes, or one of the primary intents of an out of a one percent club, an outlaw motorcycle gang, is to establish, maintain and expand its reputation for the for its capacity for immediate and serious violence. Now, that reputation is well documented, well earned, and carries with it all of the things that all of the indicia provide. Okay, so the three-piece patch, the one percent patch, all of that sort of stuff. Um, the cer- certain names of outlaw motorcycle gangs carry with it that reputation for a capacity for serious violence. Now, it's that violence that underpins everything else that they do, including those sort of what, what you might consider more, more easily recognisable organised crime activities. So your, your drug trafficking, your firearms trafficking, people trafficking, those sorts of kind of organised things that people tend to generally gravitate towards when they think about organised crime. So the organisation of the crime could be, on one assessment, could be interpreted as the fact that if a member of an outlaw motorcycle gang is in a public space and gets into a into some kind of conflict with a member of the public, all of the other members of that outlaw motorcycle gang are expected to join in, okay? So it's organised to that extent, but that's not what, people generally think of in terms of organised crime. The second point is, is that that reputation for violence and the accessibility of violence and the immediacy of violence allows certain members of outlaw motorcycle gangs to leverage off and engage in those kind of top end. I I call it top end, but, (laughs) you know, it's kind of like... A lot of people think that a pub assault, an assault in a pub, is not a great crime. But if it's part of a, a continuum of criminal behaving that allows those those kind of top end things, it's 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 all part of the same picture. Yes, it's certainly the message that is that is very reinforcing to members of the public, particularly. But, it, I mean, it also sends a message to a particular outlaw motorcycle gang's rivals and it also communicates a degree of message to people within because violence is not necessarily restricted to being against members of the public or being against members of rival gangs. 
it's also directed within, and there's been certainly a very well-documented history of violence within outlaw motorcycle gangs. We saw a, a very um, violent altercation between chapters of the Comanchero down in Canberra several years ago, an internal fight. We know about um, instances of internal club discipline that have resulted in serious harm being done to a member of, the, of, of that club. It's just that when an incident like that occurs and it's widely reported in the media, and look, the public need to know about that sort of stuff, but perhaps perhaps it's a bit more sensationalist than it needs to be not to. But the, the story is always that clubs are on a recruiting drive. They're getting bigger, more powerful, reaching into more criminal areas and so forth. But what we've seen, I think since Raptor and other state-based police squads have gone after them with this disrupt and dismantle approach, that's sort of turned around. We don't see those stories anymore. Do you think? Do you think those approaches have made joining the clubs less attractive? Look, I think um, there's there's still there are still people willing to join outlaw motorcycle gangs. I think there's and for a variety of reasons. I mean, there are some who join it simply for the criminality of it. There are people who actually do love riding motorcycles. The feel of running down the road with you know six or seven of your friends. As a group, it's individual and yet it's a group thing and I get 100% get that. And there are people who do it to, um, who, who might be seeking the, the, the brotherhood of a group of like-minded men, and I, I say men because women aren't allowed in 1% clubs, going back to those basic, you know, foundational concepts of brotherhood and mateship and all that sort of stuff. But I find that the people who become most disgruntled and want to leave or want to talk to us about the police, uh, about the about the gang, are the ones that find out that it's that the whole brotherhood thing is a falsehood. Yes, and that's happened increasingly over the last decade or two, where we've seen, and I and I saw it in a couple of particular clubs where you started to see people being recruited from non-traditional areas, from other crime groups from different people who weren't even really interested in motorcycles. There's been a, a reasonable sort of cross-pollination between other organised crime entities and outlaw motorcycle gangs. There's no disputing that. Its depth and extent is of concern for, for certain, but, it's, but it's, not the only, it's not the only thing that's, that's important in terms of recruiting and, and so forth. Look, it's certainly an element. And it's certainly a, um, an issue, but it's not the only one. Right. And we've also seen what's been very effective from Raptors, not just the high-profile raids and drugs and guns and so forth, but the approach of saying, we're going to apply the law, all the laws, to your members and your club, and that will include urinating in public or stealing a bicycle or domestic violence, for instance, is a big area where police have focused there. And, and that has been a soft spot because then you're turning families against these violent individuals and uh, and holding their practices and, and, and uh, values to public scrutiny. Yes. And I think, I think uh, intervening in domestic violence is, is a very important thing, not only for, not only for the reason of showing families the unhealthiness, the inherent unhealthiness of being in a 1% club, but also like actually looking after the victims 
of, of domestic violence. And there's certainly some, some very prolific work coming out of Queensland in relation to family violence and the risks posed towards family members, particularly women. And, and it allows for a certain ownership of the decisions that the individual member makes. Okay, so rather than a banning regime to say these colours are banned, you can't wear them in public or this organisation is prohibited and if you're a member you'll be arrested and charged, it throws a certain onus on back on the individual to say, do I really want this? Do I really want this in my life? Is it worth having a three-piece patch and a 1% diamond on my riding gear worth all the attention that I get. And that's a, uh, that's a good thing. Particularly when what we've seen under the pressure, not just in New South Wales, but across the country, under pressure, we've seen that so-called brotherhood crumble very quickly. And we've seen police have managed to make great inroads to, to various clubs to get informers, get information, and and to, to break them up. So I guess if you if you think your brothers are gonna be there till the end, well, that's one thing, but now the doubt creeps in. So that cost, as you say, of having that, that 1% patch is now becoming a little higher. And the reality of, of who's actually going to be there for you, it actually has a light shone on the, the fallacy of the proposition that your brothers are going to be there for you. Because in my experience, nine times out of 10, they're not, unless there's, unless there's an advantage for them. And well, you know, to me, that's not brotherhood. <laughs> no, it's not. And what we're also seeing is in various acts of public violence, we're seeing what appear to be underlings, not even nominees, hangarounds, getting involved in various uh, criminal activities to win the favour of the clubs. But ultimately, it doesn't it doesn't translate into membership other than to a penitentiary. Uh, yes, and, and look, that is certainly not something new. It's been something that I've been aware of for, for many, many years, and even prior, you know, prior, prior to Raptor and prior to the airport and all that sort of, prior to 2009, there's always been people who've wanted to be an associate, which is a highly contested term <laughs> about what an associate actually is. But, yes, there, there are people who have been not interested in becoming a member and been involved in criminal activities. There are people who have been interested in membership and, and, and being able to prove themselves worthy has, has been a step to nomination and then obviously ultimately with the ultimate goal of becoming a member. Outlaw motorcycle gangs are quite secretive and it's all based around the perception that you have to earn the right to wear their colours. Okay, so you don't you don't just walk into an outlaw motorcycle gang and say, hey, I want to be a member. It's not like going down to the RSL and, you know, signing up and, and getting your card and happy days, you off you go. You have to earn the right and you have to be accepted. So because, because there are layers of trust, and I use trust quite, in quite a loose fashion, because there are layers of that trust, an associate who is not, Part of the part of the recruitment program is unlikely to have have access to or be even be trusted with certain activities, and that might fall to a nominee or a prospect far more readily 
because the prospect and the nominee are on the path to becoming a full member, which is, after all, the goal. Once you become a prospect or a nominee, it's far harder to separate yourself off without any kind of sanction than if you're just an associate, just some someone who likes to hang around the club, likes to be around, likes to go to the social things. You might get, if you're an associate, you might get, um, you might get tasked with something like um, driving the support van on a on a national run or something like that. The other expert at Raptor and I always talk about it: either you're a member or you're not. And do you think over the time of Raptor that we've seen the clubs change as a result of what Raptor and the New South Wales Police Force has been doing? Yes, yes, there have been changes. Yes, certainly there has been more of an understanding of that sort of self-policing. There's certainly within the 1% clubs, if you behave in a certain way, you'll you'll receive attention. So there's been, I, I think, probably an uptick in that self-policing of, of behaviour. Certainly seen a less overt advertising of things like clubhouses. Um, you know, they used to be quite... Um, quite overt in advertising. Also, you know, some work around restricted premises and all that sort of stuff. And it's, I believe it's now closed and has been for some years. But you don't see clubhouses in quite the same way as advertising their presence, which is all tied up with the power and the image and the reputation, all that sort of stuff. So that's one thing that's that's changed. Look, I, I don't think the I don't think the clubs will ever be a thing of the past. Um, I don't think that's that's ever going to be any kind of likelihood. I'm, I'm more than happy to be persuaded otherwise, but um, <laughs> but I, I don't think that that's ever going to be a, a goal that we're going to achieve. And by virtue of the fact that that 1% exists, like there are plenty of social motorcycle clubs um, that get around and, and put patches on their, on their jackets about where they've been and some funny sayings and bits and pieces and all that sort of stuff but the the big the big delineator is that one percent patch and the three-piece patch which is the on the back they have the top rocker and the bottom rocker and the center patch i don't think that's ever going to be not a thing so it's about effectively targeting the criminals though to lessen the public risk um like sydney airport like involvement in large-scale drug importations and also local drug manufacture. So uh, hopefully you're able to cut away those criminals from those who do want to pursue a lifestyle that really I think our democracy gives us an implied right to enjoy, uh, uh, countercultures, our own sense of freedom, as long as we're not impinging on everybody else and committing criminal acts. Sure. And I think that, again, we get back to that continuum of criminal acts and taking away that, that ability to capitalise on the reputation for violence, okay? So not everybody in an outlaw motorcycle gang is has got a house on Sydney Harbour and, and wearing, you know, the, the, the national debt of a, a small country around their neck and driving, you know, when they're not on their, you know, $50,000 Harley, they're driving around in a $400,000 sports car that's not every member of an outlaw motorcycle gang and for some members that i've spoken to it's enough that people fear them because without that patch without that one percent without that three-piece patch they're just like everybody else but put that patch on and then there's something else 
and it means that people step aside for them. It means that they don't wait in line at a, at a nightclub or a, at a pub to get a drink if, they, if they're wearing their colours inside. So, you know, it's, it's, it's very easy to gravitate towards that, again, that top end of, you know, organised criminal that we all have a perception of. But for some people, the organised crime nature of it, and, and I'm, now I'm talking about the reputation for serious violence, for some people that's enough. So taking away that is really important and communicating to 1% clubs that if somebody does that, then the whole club gets attention, okay? So I think, you know, these clubs are, are going to be around for a long, well, they have been around for a long time. I think they're probably going to stay. But disrupting the, their ability to have that to have that reputation I think is is one of the crucial things because the violence is so foundational. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I think the public interest in stemming the growth of these gangs, particularly after Sydney Airport, yes. was significant. But I think it's also equally important not to cast fear into the community, as some media has done, about the, the extent and growth of these clubs and their connections to very serious, nasty individuals. So I guess it's a balance for police to to uh, to address the actual threats without uh, allowing the public fear, which is, as you rightly say, part of the stock in trade of the clubs, to actually be too influential. And, and it may be as simple as not overstating it, because it does. It, it gives the impression of um, that there's going to be a, you know, there's going to be an all motorcycle gang member around every corner, and they're going to come for me and my family and all that sort of stuff. Now, certainly those sorts of things have occurred, but not generally not against members of the public. No, correct. Well, thanks for your time, Bruce. Thank you, Adam. Brilliant. That's really good. Thanks for having me. That was Detective Senior Sergeant Bruce Groenwegen on his work to understand the nature of outlaw motorcycle gangs. Next episode, we'll be out on the streets with the New South Wales Mounted Police. It's not just about what level they're up to with their horse riding and what skills they bring in horse riding. For me, it's essential that they have that good police grounding. They've obviously got to have good communication skills and it's something that, um, that, that we assess from, from day one. Thanks for listening. Inside the New South Wales Police Force is a Real Crime Australia production in association with the New South Wales Police Force. The host producer is Adam Shan. Editing and imaging by Matt Dwyer. For New South Wales Police, Christian Schweitzer, Sergeant Emma Key, Senior Constable Ashley Bold and Anthony Bray and the New South Wales Police Force Band. To find out more about any of our products discussed on today's episode, search Police Bank inside New South Wales Police. Alternatively, speak to one of the Police Bank team on 131 728. This podcast is also proudly brought to you by Charles Sturt University, providing education for the New South Wales Police Force and law enforcement worldwide for over 30 years. Do you want to become a cop or further your policing career? We can help. Visit csu.edu.au forward slash policing to learn more.